Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. We are here a day after Rich Basaccia was introduced, I guess you would say, as the Raiders interim head coach. Uh, Mike Mayock took the podium and did his best to... Kind of explain everything that's going on and how everybody's doing, how everybody's feeling. We got to talk to Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Max Crosby. But I think, if we're being honest, it, the big reaction is, is who we didn't get to talk to. You know, Mark Davis was not there on Wednesday. And let me get this out of the way. Like Mike Mayock, I think, did a very good job representing the organization. He probably did a much better job than Mark would have done. Mark clearly is upset with the NFL. And that's probably part of why he didn't want to talk. He didn't, he didn't want to let his emotions get over him and, and get himself in more trouble. But still, he, he's the leader of this organization. He's the owner. It was the coach that he handpicked, that he sought after for six years, that was forced to resign. And this is the second straight time now that a coach that he has been the sole person in charge of hiring that has left the position, that he has not come out to speak. Uh, obviously, we remember Jack Del Rio announcing his own firing in 2017, and now it was Mike Mayock basically left to explain everything that happened uh, that led to John Gruden's resignation. Yeah, it definitely was what stood out to me the most. You know, obviously, you know, he spoke to ESPN yesterday morning, and you know, said no comment on the Gruden situation. At least is how, how I interpreted it. And then, but he did have a comment to you know sort of show that that he seemed to be angry at, at the NFL. And to me, I mean, it's it seems like his anger is placed in the wrong in the wrong spot there. I mean, you're not angry at the guy that you know just had these racist, misogynistic, and, and homophobic emails come out. You know, you're not. Other emotion could be you know concerned for the black players on your team, the women in your organization. You know, uh, people like Carl Nassib, um, you know, who may be gay with, with, within the organization. It's just a very strange approach to it. You know, he's he's had a few days. You know, he, he got all this information. You know, as we know, last week. He's a grown man, you know, it's not like he's a little kid or something, you know, to be able to contain his emotions, to, to speak for the franchise. If Rich Bisaccia, who's made the interim coach two days or three days ago now, uh, you know, and Mike Mayock, he had these players up there speaking about it, then, then surely Mark Davis should be able to. And so uh, I, f- I feel like he really dropped the ball in that department. You're the owner of a NFL franchise. You know, I understand there there are some emotions involved, but you've got to be able to suck it up and you've got to be able to make a statement and 
such a pivotal moment, you know, in your franchise's history and with everything that's going on, you know, you have to make a strong statement. It doesn't matter how the information got out. And I'm sure that's what he's pissed about, but the information's out there. So you, you, you have to disassociate the Raider image with everything that came out. And he just didn't do that. So I thought it was pretty weak and I hope he's able to come out and, and make a statement soon. But instead, you know, he, he gave that comment to ESPN and it kind of just took responsibility away from him and kind of just seemed like he was trying to put the responsibility of the league. I'll say I thought the ESPN comment was weird because, I mean, he clearly says no comment. Then he says something else, which may have come as an aside after no comment. I mean, I've always found it weird when people call people after they say, I don't want to talk. They say something else, and that gets quoted. To me, that's always been odd. So, I mean, I, I think I'll give more. I mean, I, I was very critical of Mark uh, as far as not having a better statement when all this went down over the weekend and Monday. But like Jimmy said, Mayak did a, a better job than, than Mark would have done. I think Mike probably, Mike probably knew that. So he probably didn't have anything positive to add. He's probably clearly angry, both, probably both at the league and at, at John. So in this case, maybe Mayak was the way to go. I mean, I mean again, I think the, the time for a statement was Monday, and so I think it was already now you know, Wednesday, so I'm not sure what he could have added that Mike didn't clean it. And again, it's all, a lot of it's just lip service, because at this point, you know, the deed is done. John quit, he's gone, you got a new start, you got to kind of like, you know, have guys have some hope about what's what's going forward. So, I mean, maybe Mark realized he wasn't the guy to deliver that message, and Mike was better at it than he was. So, I still think it's, it was weak, I mean, not having a stronger statement when all this went down. You know, like, like Jimmy said, Mag did a decent job, and I thought that was – they got to turn the page, and so I think they're trying to do that, you know, yesterday and today. Yeah, I think for me it wasn't so much about, you know, maybe a, a message, even that, that, would, that would be nice to have some kind of statement, but also having to answer questions, you know, about, you know, the hiring process of John Gruden, how did none of this come up, you know, these emails that were sent recent as, you know, up to 2018, which is when you hired him why he didn't act immediately after getting the details from the NFL, why he let him resign instead of firing him, et cetera. Like, there are so many questions that he hasn't answered. Maybe he didn't have good answers. Maybe the answers he had weren't good. He's like, I don't want to give these yeah. These answers stink. I don't want to say this. So, I mean, I have no idea. But um, at some point, I'm sure I'll talk to someone he's comfortable with and, and put a spin on the whole thing. But um, at this point, like we mentioned you know, last week, it's the organization's kind of in shambles. They lost the two guys – who made every decision, you know, Mike Bredain on the business side, now John Gruden on the, on the football side. So uh, it's a huge void. He's got a lot to deal with. So, I mean, it was weak, but I, I had a bigger problem with the, the, the poor statement on Monday than him not talking on, on Wednesday. My biggest argument for why he probably should have talked is how many times did Mayock have to say, well, you'd have to talk to Mark about that. I don't want to put words in Mark's you know, mouth. I mean, I think it was three or four times where he kind of like, well, I don't want to talk for Mark. You know, and I think he could have sat there and you know how Mayock read an opening statement. He could have read that. Then Mayock could have talked and Mayock could have like basically every question that got asked. Mayock could have tried to could have jumped in. But whatever. I mean, at this point, it's, it's over. It's done. But I think we talk about where Mark's anger seems to be guided at. It's at the NFL. And don't get me wrong. I think. 
that is a conversation. That's a to me, that's a separate story, right? Of why did the NFL decide? Why did the NFL decide they had to leak this? Why is John Gruden the only person who is being the fall guy for everything that went on with the Washington football team? And I agree with all the people out there that say more needs to come out of that investigation. I mean, 650,000 emails. Dan Snyder has gotten a slap on the wrist as the owner of the team who had this terrible, toxic environment. And John Gruden gets fired for, for what Dan Snyder created. But still, that doesn't change what John Gruden did. And I mean, you can't just direct your anger at the investigation and why he's the fall guy. You have to understand, like, there's a reason he he's in trouble and it's because of his own actions. All of those hundreds of thousands of emails should be released. I agree with that. But people are I think they're missing the point and they're using that as some kind of way to get Gruden out of it. Like, no, he still should have been fired. Like, he, he still said these things, like regardless of if 25 other people in the league said the same things. They should all go too. You know, it doesn't excuse him just because, you know, the NFL is being weird and how they're releasing this. But I certainly agree, like all that stuff. And then, you know, not, not having a written report for that whole investigation is just strange. Like, why are you even doing this if essentially you're going to do nothing with what you're finding except for get John Gruden fired, apparently? And the guy I really feel for is Nassib because for him, I'm sure it's really hard to trust anybody in a league right now because... You know, he trusted Gruden. He trusted this franchise and his head coach with coming out. And then he learns that he has a totally different attitude towards the LGBTQ. And, you know, how can he trust, you know, even the coaches on staff and the front office that, you know, they might be saying one thing to him to his face and have a totally different attitude behind doors. So, you know, I think that's part of the reason why he has to take some time to process everything. And, you know, I, I think for him, it's just going to be hard to trust people in, in the NFL moving forward. I think Waller had a, a really good you know, comment on that yesterday. Uh, shortly before all this happened, NASA went on, on Waller's podcast and they had a like 30 minute or so conversation about it. And, you know, how he got to be comfortable coming out and how that's impacted him since and all that. And so he had just kind of started to open up more about it after, you know, basically going going pretty silent um, since coming out, except for the press conference he had with the Raiders. And so it's like right when he seems like he's getting a little comfortable, something like this hits. So definitely got a feel for that guy, along with all the, you know, the black players on the team. I mean, uh, this all started with a racist comment and, you know, most of the guys on the, on the team are black. And so they were also kind of deceived. It's like, you know, you've been following this guy. Maybe you were drafted by this guy, you know, caught up in the whole personality and then you see him say something like that i'm sure that was jarring for them as well so across the board you know guys have a lot to deal with mentally there is an attempt to move forward by the team and and that starts with rich basaccia respected special teams coach uh assistant head coach guy that uh i mean a lot, a lot of these players you know say they love him that they are are excited for him to have the opportunity he said he's excited for the opportunity this is not the way you want to get your first head coaching chance in the nfl but here it is and you know, we'll, we'll see what adjustments he makes. We'll see what he does different. Um, obviously, Greg Olson now becomes the offensive play caller. And we'll see how the Raiders respond to him. I mean, at the end of the day, like most in-season coaching changes, especially five weeks in, you're probably 0-5. Maybe you're 1-4. You're a terrible team who's going nowhere. I think we still have legitimate on-field questions about how good this Raiders team is, but they're not a bad team. They're three and two. They deserve, you know, they earned that three and two record. They earned that three and zero start against three quality opponents. While it seems unlikely that a team that's gone through all this upheaval can get back on track, it's not impossible. And we'll see what Pasaccia can do. We'll see what the team leaders can do to get this team back on track starting on Sunday. I think the one thing that they're going for is this continuity. Obviously, Pasaccia 
been a long time Gruden guy and uh, one of his coaches and a friend for more than 20 years. Greg Olson, obviously, has coordinated the last few years. With Derek Carr's play callers rookie year. Uh, Gus Bradley has been there and doing it for the last you know few months. So I've been trying to somehow like carry on with this this team and this roster and this playbook as as is, just without the main guy. Like the the, the head of the of the lion has kind of been cut off, but it's like a like a zombie lion. I don't know. What that was. <laughs> Sorry, the, the lion's still. <laughs> oh, I lost myself. The lion's still alive. The lion's still. We're gonna have a zombie on. lion out at MGM Grand yeah, but now. Exactly, but so they're trying. They're trying, like like you mentioned, most times interim coaches they gotta change some things. Gotta like maybe try something new, or we'll try and, you know, and 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 get a fresh start. But this, they're trying to keep this going. Like I mean, besides the last two weeks, you know, the hiccups. They want to get back to where they were the first few weeks as far as this offense goes. So I think we'll see a lot of familiar things um, this weekend. And I think part of the reason for choosing Basachi, like obviously he's been around the franchise for a while and he has a special teams coordinator. He has a pretty intimate knowledge of the roster, both on offense and defense, because all the different position groups that he's, he presides over on special teams. I also think it was to you know keep Greg Olson and Gus Bradley free to, to focus on their respective sides of the ball. Olson, you know, he hasn't called plays since he was the Jaguars um, offense coordinator a few years ago. But he, as Vic said, with the continuity piece, you know, he did. He was coordinator for the Raiders back in, in Derek Carr's rookie year. And so they have a little bit of it's been a long time, but they have you know some some sort of rapport. And, you know, obviously they've, they've been in, in meetings together and, and had a lot of communication. So I mean, and then on the defense side of the ball, I wouldn't think that much would really change. It wasn't like Gruden had a bunch of influence over what Bradley was doing. He pretty much had given him the keys since he's been hired on that side of the ball. But, you know, it still is a team with like some pretty critical issues. Um, the offensive line, like I don't know if continuity is going to help them suddenly become good or, you know, the run defense or penalties, which is a big focus thing, like coming off something like this, is that going to get better? Like, so, you know, while the coaching staff, I, I think is, you know, about as in good of a place as it could be coming off of something like this. Uh, I'm still not so sure that those, those football issues that they've been having are all of a sudden going to change. Yeah. I, I think we'll find out real quick where this team is mentally and they have a weak part of their schedule coming up. They have three winnable games and if they could win you know, all three of these games are going to put themselves in a lot better position and give themselves some margin for error later. But I think offensively, you know, when you lose a guy like Gruden, who was in charge of so much, and, you know, we're talking about a guy who, you know, drawing up 200 plays for each game plan. So I I think the offensive approach will be a lot less complicated and a lot less, uh, there's going to be a lot less volume. I think Derek Carr will be more involved in in the game planning and and, you know, he'll probably have some more freedom at the line of scrimmage, uh, I'd imagine, as well. So, you know, sometimes simpler can be better. They'll still obviously have the same identity that they had in the beginning of the season. With some positivity, you know, rewatching that the Bears game, I actually thought Andre James and, um, and Alex Leatherwood played a lot better than I thought initially. Leatherwood especially had some really nice, a few really nice reps. I think Brandon Parker really struggled. Um, and, you know, he was going against Khalil Mack. So a lot of people would struggle against Khalil Mack. And actually, you know, a few of the pressures happened because Foster Moreau was on Khalil Mack. And, yeah, that's just not a good matchup you want to see too often. There were some communication issues with um, Parker and Leatherwood. But, you know, those kind of things could get cleaned up at, with some reps. So, you know, I, I think there is some hope uh, for this offensive line. Uh, we'll see what happens with Parker because yeah, he looked really bad against Khalil Mack, but I think with James and Leatherwood, I saw some growth and there's some, uh, there's some hope there. 
One more thing for the offensive line. I mean, something that we found out in, in that weird-ass press conference Monday when you just had to act like everything was normal for five minutes. But uh, Richie Incognito, you know, he, he may be able to come back after the bye week, which would be week nine. You know, he, he hasn't played this season, but um, if he's able to come back, you know, perhaps that allows Leatherwood to kick back out to, to right tackle. And obviously Incognito is, is an upgrade over, over whoever they have inside right now if he's able to, you know, be healthy which is still a question, but that could, that could be another potential thing that could get offensive line, some hope down the line, and in addition to them getting better when it comes to communication and, and continuity. You know, and they could get a boost to their short yardage running game, right? Uh, Marcus Mariota returned to practice, a chance that he could play Sunday. And uh, we'll see, especially, you know, w- with Greg Olson now in charge, what kind of a package they may have for him. You know, will they you know, be interested in using him in the red zone and short yardage. Uh, I don't think we're going to see any more Derek Carr quarterback sneaks this season after uh, after the hit he took on Sunday. So Marcus Mariota, you know, like we said, uh, I think after the, the game on Sunday, you know, he, he's been paid all this money. Uh, let's get some money's worth out of him. So ultimately, I was right about the Carr QB sneaks. That <laughs> if he's going to give up they were on successful, it. successful, <laughs> but they're damaging. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, if, can Mariota get hit <laughs> the, one, the one touch he had this season he immediately is gone for like five weeks so like i don't know like you know you rather have him out there and, and car on those kind of plays but in all seriousness you know him with those, those zone zone reads and, and run pass options and and run options you know that could give them a little bit more diversity in those short yarded situations which is an area they really struggled in this season and once again the red zone offense has not been good and so you know i don't know how often you know but even if it's a couple times a game i mean like you know not saying that he's Taysom Hill, but how the Saints use Taysom Hill, like last year in particular, like he wasn't always on the field a bunch of times. But, you know, if he's impactful in those short amount of, or a few amount of snaps, then that's all you really need. And so they might as well try something new. I mean, what, they, they, what they've been doing hasn't been working, so, so it can't make it any worse. I got two words for you guys. Nathan Peterman. I mean, yeah, he's, he's athletic. Why not use him a little bit? Doesn't get hurt. He's durable, plays, plays the whole preseason, doesn't get hurt. He's tough. That's the guy. Mariota gets well, he gets one first down every five weeks, and then you could use <laughs> and then you could put Peterman in between. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, well, at this point, we want to take a little bit closer look at the Broncos, so we're going to turn it over and talk to our Broncos writer here at The Athletic, Nick Hosmeider. All right, now is the time we would like to welcome in Nick Hosmeider. He does a great job covering the Broncos for us here at The Athletic. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, it's it's been a week. It's been a week. I mean, if you take the all the off-the-field stuff out of the picture, this is a matchup on Sunday between two teams that are having a similar type season. Both started 3-0. 
both have lost two in a row. Now, the Broncos did it by really the first three games. They beat up on teams that they should beat up on, three of probably the five worst teams in the league. Now, that was a a narrative I think they wanted to kind of kick and say, no, we're, we're playing well. But the fact of the matter is, the last two weeks, they played the Ravens, they played the Steelers, and they've lost. Now, Sunday's game against Pittsburgh was against a team that a lot of people thought were on the decline. We thought Ben Roethlisberger was on his last leg. The Broncos had that high, have that high price secondary. And here Roethlisberger is throwing 50-yard touchdowns over them. What did you make of that game on Sunday? And how do the Broncos kind of get back on track? You mentioned the secondary. It's, it's been an issue. The last two games, the Broncos have given up five passes of 30 or more yards. You know, so, so coming into this, to this season... Again, you mentioned it. This is the highest-priced secondary in the NFL. They signed Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby. Fuller has not played well, uh, looking nothing like the guy that Vic Fangio had in Chicago when he was an All-Pro in 2018. And Darby's been hurt since Week One. You know, Pat Sertan, the number nine overall pick, has been good, but he still had some rookie issues in there, right? Like, no matter how good you are as a cornerback, you're gonna have you're gonna have a learning curve as you come into the league. So you add all those things together, you know, and even Justin Simmons, this this safety, he and Kareem Jackson have had a couple breakdowns there. So you know, they only gave up two such passes in the first three weeks of the season, and there's just been these breakdowns. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting thing for me to watch is, you know, can they prevent from letting Derek Carr attack them in that way? Derek Carr has, you know, only four guys in the league have more of those 30-plus yard passes than he does. But for Carr, only one of those has come in the last two weeks. So both of those units uh, have kind of struggled in the big pass game on either end. And to me, that's that's a big thing to watch this week of like who kind of gets back on track in that regard. Hey, tell me about this uh, this mighty pass rush. Did they think they struggled last week against the Steelers? And you think they'll bounce back? And what what's been the the key for them so far? Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I kind of wrote about that that this week is that you know the Broncos from a base rush perspective when they're only bringing four or fewer are getting the least pressure on the quarterback of any team in the league, which is kind of kind of fascinating. Now, quarterbacks are getting it out faster against the Broncos than is their average. You know, Ben Roethlisberger was getting it off in 2.1 seconds. You're not going to get a whole lot of pressure on a guy like that. And, and some of that, I think, is the Von Miller effect, right? Like teams being deferential to him. And he has he's kind of the one guy on that line that's had a great start to the year. But yeah, they, they haven't been able to get enough pressure. And Vic Fangio, kind of antithetical to how he calls games, is like blitzing like crazy. Nobody in the league has blitzed more the last three weeks. So to me, they can't, they can't just you know, blitz Derek Carr all day. He'll, he'll pick them apart. They're going to have to figure out a way to get those front four going. You know, they gave Shelby Harris a three-year, $27 million contract. He has one sack. His pressure rate is way down. Draymond Jones, you know, this was a guy, teammates in, in training camp were talking as, you know, the next breakout defensive lineman. He's going to have 10 sacks, put himself on the radar. Uh, no sacks, and his pressure rate has declined quite a bit from last season. So they just need those guys to play better, you know, to, to, to kind of have a chance to bring down – you know, Derek Carr, who's been sacked uh, seven times, I believe, in the last two weeks. How would you describe this this Broncos offense? Um, I know they, they have some pretty good run numbers, but they've sort of been hit or miss so far this season. You know, pretty good in the first three games. In the last two, they've they kind of struggled a little bit. You know, which one do you think is closer to, to what's the reality for this offense? Yeah, somewhere probably in the middle. You know, the last two weeks, they've been five of 26 on third down, worst in the league. You know, this is a team that because they're not turning the ball over, they were one of the worst in giveaways last year. Teddy Bridgewater's taking great care of the ball, and they're converting some fourth downs, uh, eight of nine this year, which is wild because they only converted four fourth downs all season last year. So those two things have allowed them to get into the red zone. They actually have 11 goal-to-go drives this year, uh, which is, I think, seventh in the league. Like, they're putting themselves on the doorstep. 
but in 11 trips inside the 10, they've only scored five touchdowns. They're having a real issue finishing drives, and that is has been a knock on Teddy Bridgewater the last couple of years. As good as he is at being efficient, taking care of the ball, getting teams into position to score, he's had a hard time uh, finishing the job, and, and that's been the case this year. You know, they need better play calling down in the in, in the close spaces by by Pat Shermer. That hasn't been good enough. They need to run the ball more down there. If there's a team that maybe they can get right against, it's the Raiders who have allowed 10 touchdowns on a, in, I believe, 11 red zone defensive drives. So that's going to be another thing of like which which team in that regard can kind of do better than they've done to this point this year. You know, do you think this running game is good enough to take over this game? Because the Raiders haven't been good at stopping the run. And, you know, that's one area I see the Broncos really hurting the, the Raiders in. Do you, do you think they're good enough to just, just dominate this game from start to finish on the ground? Yeah, that's not something that they've done so far this year, even even against that soft opening schedule, which has been a bit of a surprise. I think that was the identity this team hoped to have going into the season. Their offensive line finally had some chemistry. They were returning four of five starters. Garrett Bowles was an all-pro last year. Their, their two guards, Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow, they thought highly of, and then Lloyd Cushenberry going into his second year as center made a lot of progress in the offseason. So they they thought this was a group that was just going to you know, kind of pound everybody on the ground, uh, especially with, with Melvin Gordon having closed the season strong last year. And then they drafted Javante Williams 35th overall. And it just hasn't quite like materialized that way. For one reason or another, it's been clunky. Um, the play calling has been an issue that's talked about a lot around here. And I think some of this back and forth of using a new guy each drive between Gordon and Williams ha- has been in, hasn't allowed them to really kind of catch a flow. I mean, since week two, Javante Williams has far and away been the more efficient, more productive running back. Um, and, and to me, I think it's it's high time for them to just let him be the guy uh, because he's among the league leaders in broken tackles. He has way more explosive plays already this season than does Melvin Gordon. I think that the quicker they realize that he's going to be their most effective, most dynamic tool in the backfield, the quicker they're going to find success in that in, in the ground game. But I, I don't see them dominating in that way simply because they haven't done it yet. Um, the key for them is just going to be to be more balanced, run well on the early downs, which is something they have not done the last couple of weeks, um, so that they're not in these third and forevers, uh, which is, is what they've been in third and eight, third and nine. Uh, consistently the last two weeks. How would you evaluate the season that Vic Fangio has had so far? We've been tough on him on this podcast. Vic likes to keep his his all Vic rankings. He he ranks all the Vicks that he knows. And uh, especially after the, the week uh, 17 game last year, he he, he dipped significantly uh, on the all Vic rankings. Uh, that was uh, a rough performance. Um, and and though, that was not the only time last year where Broncos fans might have said that Vic Fangio cost him a game. How would you evaluate any growth out of him this season? Wait, so Vic, you're not a fan of like giving people all the time they need to come up with their two point play, and you know, that's not. Uh... <laughs> I'm not. No, he didn't do very well in my last rankings. He's he's still dropping. Vic's tough on the Vicks, man. It was one of those deals, right? Where he, you know, coming into the season, the big thing was you got to start quicker, right? He he was 0 and 7 in September, his first two years, and so the Broncos were out of it from the very start of the year. So this year, you know, that they're they're coming in and they have the, the benefit of this soft schedule. And he took care of business. They go three and oh, put themselves in position to have a little bit of you know margin for error as the schedule progressed. But in the two losses, um, you know, it, to me, it's not that Fangio there hasn't really been a lot of call play calls in the game or or um fourth down decisions or late clock decisions, things like that that he's that he's botched, but you know the team on Sunday just just didn't look ready to play. I mean, you fall into a twenty-four to six hole 
against a team that had really struggled, that just kind of demonstrated that you, you didn't get these guys properly ready to go. Um, you know, they got hit in the mouth and they just, by the time they turned it around, it was too late. It was too, too deep a hole to climb. This is about the biggest game that he's had in his tenure since he got here. Uh, I mean, they, they go three and three, go into the Browns on a short week next week. You, you, you don't like him probably in that situation. All of a sudden you have a four game losing streak. This is a huge game for him in order to kind of like have that confidence uh, in the front office that, that he can kind of continue to lead them through this season. Because to this point, the way that they looked in those two losses against real competition, they got to prove that, they're, that they really have taken a step from last season, from the last two seasons. All right, Nick, we really appreciate your time, man, and uh, look forward to seeing what happens on Sunday. All right, look forward to seeing you guys out here. Thanks. All right, well, we appreciate Nick for those insights on the Broncos. I mean, this is an important game for the Raiders as well. Um, if they want to have any hope of getting back on track, getting a win here and just kind of spurring their season in the right direction uh, is big. And, you know, the Broncos are, are a team with a lot of question marks, I think. Uh, you know, we've seen it the last two weeks that we all kind of knew, right, that their 3-0 and start probably wasn't really indicative of, of what they were as a team. But it's an interesting situation right here now in the AFC West where the Chargers are looking really good. Justin Herbert is suddenly an MVP candidate. The Chiefs are stumbling 2-3. and three. So the Raiders, I mean, they're not out of this thing, especially if they can win on Sunday. Yeah, I think pretty... Pretty evenly matched teams, really. I mean, I think you look at the Broncos and the, uh, the injury of Jerry Judy was big. They also lost Hamler, another a promising receiver. So definitely they're trying to get their offense in sync. But um, a strong pass rush. Secondary was good until last week. Uh, so I think it'll be uh, some good matchups against the Raiders this week. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's wide open. I think either team can definitely win this game. I used to take a step forward. I'm really feeling good about themselves with going you know, the rest of the way. The Chargers are going against Baltimore on the road, and Baltimore has been really hot. And then they have a bye week, and then the Patriots are coming to town. They got a tough part of their schedule coming up. The Raiders have, you know, a relatively favorable part of their schedule coming up. So this is an opportunity for them to possibly get back on top of the division. And uh, like you mentioned, Kansas City is is struggling. Are we still able to call the Patriots a part of a, a tough part of the schedule? I, I, I don't. I don't know if we're. I don't know if we're still a lot. They have a championship level defense, so I, I think with that defense, they give themselves. You know, and they have Belichick. I think that they just give themselves a chance in every game. You know, I don't know if they're going to win every game, but I, they give themselves a chance to win it in, in every game. Yeah, I think they're pretty evenly matched on paper. Uh, I think there's two big outliers. Like obviously, the, the Broncos have home field advantage, and also you know. The Raiders lost their head coach this week, <laughs> so it kind of makes a difference. So, like, I think that's what what's ultimately swings this this pendulum kind of in the Broncos' favor a little bit. The Broncos do have Vic Fangio, who is not not a favorite member of this podcast. But all right, let's uh, let's go to the mailbag. We're going to take some questions here. Uh, start with this one from Jeffrey H. What do you expect will be the biggest difference in Greg Olson's play calling versus Gruden's? Please give us a pass play on the first play of the game. Play action, go deep to rug, something, I don't know. Just don't run to the left side of the with uh, Josh Jacobs. Um, my guess would be he'd be less reliant on really having to establish a run. Like, he wouldn't feel as like, – it seems like Gruden really sometimes gets stuck and he has to go back and really get the run game going. Even when it's clear it's not when Josh is banged up or when, they, you know, Kenny Jake's been a non-factor. So, <clears throat> my guess would be that uh, Olsen will turn the passing game earlier than, than, than John did. I also think Oli's got to want to, to mix in uh, Ken and Drake. I think Drake's got to be a guy. He brought him in, paid him a good chunk of change, and he really hasn't got many snaps the last few weeks. So I think, I'm sure if, if Olsen has a list of things he wants to really focus on, I have to think getting Drake involved is pretty high on the list. 
I think the offense will look a little simpler too. I don't think there's going to be as many crazy motions and shifts. Yeah, I think Carr will just have a little bit more um, responsibility and leeway. And when you go to a more quarterback controlled offense, you're going to see a little less motion, a little less shifts, and you're going to see more passing early on. So yeah, I I agree with Vic. And um, yeah, I just think there will be a little bit more of a, Derek Carr leading this offense than, you know, being reliant on Gruden's play designs. Olsen, the last time he called plays uh, was 2016 midseason. He got fired by Gus Bradley. Uh, He was Gus Bradley's offensive coordinator with the Jags. Uh, I I think, uh, Vic, we saw him uh, a week before he got fired, like four days before he got fired. The the, the Raiders had played uh, in Jacksonville. I remember we were leaving the stadium when we ran into him down in the tunnels. And uh, four days later, they played on Thursday night football, uh, did not do well. And and Gus Bradley had to fire him. For Ole, this is a big opportunity, right? He's been with the Raiders now in his fourth season since getting fired with the Jags. He went to the Rams as a quarterback coach. You know, he hasn't been a play caller since then. This is his chance to kind of show what he can do again as a play caller because, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, everybody on this coaching staff is coaching for their next job. Whether it's staying with the Raiders, with whomever ends up being the full-time head coach, or whether it's going somewhere else, I mean, everybody on this coaching staff is coaching for their next jobs. It's not just going to be about, let's keep doing the same thing. They've got to show what their abilities are. Right, I agree. That's a good point. I think Olsen you know, had some success earlier. Like one of his best years was in Tampa with Josh Freeman. He's had some pretty good years, but he's been more, most. He's kind of been I don't want to say a lifer, but a guy who's kind of like, you know, been bouncing around a little bit until he got here. So I think he definitely knows. Like you said, he, this is a chance for him to kind of make a name for himself again. And he's got. He has to feel very comfortable with the tools he has. I mean, they have a good receiving core. Derek Carr was, you know. MVP guy two weeks ago when Josh Jacobs was going healthy. He's one of the better running backs in the league. So if they can get the O-line figured out, then they should be, uh, he should be okay. He should, have, uh, he should get this thing back on track, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah, and I mean, Gus Bradley, you know, he's been turning this thing around on, on defense, you know, in a way I don't think many of us expected. You know, we, we listed him on, on our list of uh, potential coaching candidates earlier this week. I mean, if you know, this defense keeps at this rate or, or improves as the year goes on, he could be auditioning for, for something else as well. All right, question here from Charles M. If the Raiders don't make the playoffs and Davis decides to head a different direction with GM and head coach combo, is there enough talent on this roster to prevent another rebuild? I think it comes down to whoever is hired and how they feel about Derek Carr, right? Yeah, that'll be a big part of it. I mean, they have to decide in his next contract this offseason, so I think that's be a big factor. And then, like, we've talked about you know, some of the defensive guys are up for a new deal also, so I think you have to really have uh, – Whoever it is that comes in as a coach and GM, however that power structure lines up this time, car thing will be the first. And as it was with John, if you're still here, the car thing will be the first item on the agenda. And once they figure that out, they'll know exactly how close they think they are to you know getting to the next step, or if they're going to take a step back and and take another path. Yeah, I don't think this is a. I know the last couple of games they've kind of fallen into a skid, but I think this is a. No, a pretty solid roster. You know, I think coming into the season, we all agreed that it, while we didn't pick them to make the playoffs, you know, they had enough talent there to make it if everything goes right. And uh, they have resources, you know, as, as I said, last podcast to, to make improvements this offseason, um, which I think has been the case, you know, the last couple of years. It's just a matter of them not using those resources in the best way. And so for whoever the next coach is or the next GM, or however that power structure works, um, I, I don't think this is – and this typically isn't the situation that you would walk into when there's a head coach in vacancy. Yeah, I think what's the toughest thing is, like we said, there are a lot of big financial decisions. Carr, you know, Crosby, 
you know, guys like Renfro, you know, Waller's going to want a new deal. And so it just becomes like, who are you going to commit to? Who do you really see as a part of your next team? And uh, so those will be the big decisions to make. And if they decide that, you know what, hey, we, you know, I mean, a guy like Crosby, I would think is, is, is a definite guy you want to keep around. You know, if you got a good pass rusher, you want to keep him around. But um, the rest of the guys just could be kind of how do they how do they fit in with what you do? Plus, Max has got a Raiders tattoo on his arm, so that's kind of decreases leverage. Like, I mean, you gonna do? You know, so it's Cleveland, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all right. He also has leverage to stay there, I guess. Well, when they decline his fifth-year option because they don't want to pay him like ten million dollars, he's like, okay, I'll vet minimum. I'll take, I'll take the vet minimum because I got can't can't get rid of this tattoo. Um, all right, question from Chase G. What do you guys see as a best case scenario for the rest of the year and worst case scenario for the rest of the year, given the current circumstances? Oh, it's easy. The best case is they go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, and the worst case is they lose all the rest of the games. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, Ted, Ted, this is this is why we hired Ted. He has the best analysis in football. He, he just he breaks. You know, all of us go with the the on the surface analysis. He breaks it down to the granular level, and that was that was that was that was as good as it gets. The, the best part was how excited he was to share the information. Like, he was so excited to tell us about the best and worst case scenario. I was like, hey, I know what it is. Like, is it not true? <laughs> yeah, it's very true, Ted. Good point. You know, as we said, with their, with their uh, record and, and kind of how this division is shaking out at the moment, I mean, the, the playoffs are, are still a possibility. I don't think it's very likely, but that's probably the best case scenario, making it in there as one of those wild card teams, probably a second place in, in the AFC West type situation there. Worst case, uh, not just missing the playoffs, but, you know, the team sort of looking like, I won't say quit, but it's they're kind of not into it anymore. Like, you know, halfway through the season or late in the season, it's kind of like they're just out there going through the motions, you know, because I think that kind of carry over, carries over moving forward. I know, that, I know they have a, guy, a lot of guys on rookie deals and short-term deals that aren't guaranteed, so maybe those guys that give up aren't there anymore moving forward. But I, I think that's kind of the worst case scenario, and I don't think you can rule that out given, you know, everything that's, that's happened. I'll say that I think the worst case scenario is kind of it's a, it's a big kind of target. I think if they win anywhere between five and eight games this season, I th- to me it's the same result. I think it doesn't matter if they like you know win eight or win five. I think Mark Davis is going to view this as this was a playoff roster. Obviously, this happened with the coach, but there's enough time to bounce back. You know, with Mitch Masacci and the coordinators are in place and the talent's still in place. So I'm going to say if they win you know five or eight games and don't make the playoffs. I think he's going to tear it down. I think he's going to like probably replace Mike Mayock, probably hire a new coach, and probably not bring back Derek Carr for a new deal. So I think, uh, to me, the worst-case scenario is definitely kind of a much broader area. as a much larger landing spot for that, for that worst-case scenario. Yeah, and Tashawn kind of playing off your idea of just how they look. I mean, it would be similar, Vic, I think, to the 2018 season, right, where the Khalil Mack trade before the season just really deflated them. Right before the trade deadline, they trade away Amari Cooper. And, I mean, we saw a team, uh, you go back to that 49ers game uh, on that Thursday night in, in Santa Clara, where, I, I mean, Bruce Irvin was out there just, like, completely disinterested. I mean, he was, he he would, you know, stand up right off the snap and, and then just do nothing. Uh, and, you know, when, when film got out there of that, I mean, he, he got cut pretty much shortly after that. I think that would be the worst case scenario where you had a team that, Gave up on Gruden. I think that's that's a fair assessment. Now, obviously, Gruden was able to to kind of, as he remade the roster, get guys that were ready to rally back around him. But 
that was just a hard season to watch because, uh, you know, it was his first season and you kind of thought that he was going to help them get back to the 2016 team that they had. And it ended up being about as ugly of a season as a uh, football as you could watch. I think that would be the worst case scenario. If they're out there you know, playing their asses off and, and trying hard and, and competing, you know, and still don't make the playoffs. I mean, you know, you're not going to you're at least not going to have the same emotions you had watching that 2018 season. I think I'll play hard for Basaccia. I think he's a very popular coach and you know, been around for a long time. Like I said, you know, you coach special teams, you have contact with both offensive and defensive players. He knows more of the roster than personally than, say, Gus or, or Greg do. So I think he's a good communicator. I just think the question will be, like, there are issues they've had the last two weeks, like the things, the problems they have, where they're run defense, the offensive line. I think I still think the depth is going to be an issue at some point. So if those things can't get fixed – then no matter how hard to play for Versace, it's not really going to matter. So I think they have issues they have to take care of, regardless of who the coach is. And uh, I think they'll play hard for Rich. I think that'll be, that won't be an issue. I, I don't see that happening. All right, final question, uh, Vic. I'm going to let you handle this one, and you probably can handle it in about one word. Uh, it's from Timo. One word. Okay, let me think it's like a game show. One word. Okay, go. A lot of people on Twitter are hoping Amy Trask comes back to lead the front office for the Raiders. Any chance of that happening? One word. You're setting me up here. Yeah, no, it's like a no. Not, the word's no. I think um, Amy's great, and obviously I think she would probably enjoy the, the idea of coming back, but I don't think Mark Davis views that as an option. I think they have there's issues there. I think um, when she left, it, uh, it wasn't great, so I don't see Mark Davis going down that road. All right, guys, it is prediction time. This is going to be a challenging prediction week. I mean, it really just comes down to what Raider team shows up. How distracted are they? I mean, I think everybody tried to acknowledge and tried to say that on Sunday that all the distraction from Gruden on Friday uh, was not a factor. But, you know, that's what you have to say. I don't think any of us can really say we watched that game and say that that team wasn't flat. The fact that the situation is more or less behind them, will will they be able to bounce back? Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, is, does anybody want to jump in here and pick the Raiders to win? I'll pick them to cover the spread. They're plus three and a half, so I'll take the Raiders plus three and a half. Enough with this spread talk, man. Win or loss. What are, are we picking, man? <laughs> Vic <laughs> likes to hedge. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a money I'm not a money line guy, but uh, I will say that the uh, I'll say the Raiders win. I'll go with my anti-Vic Fangio thing. I think... Uh, which Versace can probably outcoach Vic Fangio. So I think there's enough talent. And that's why I picked them last week. I think they should have enough talent offensively to get over the hump. Obviously, Edwards had those two drops last week. They had like a 1,000 holding calls. But um, I think they should be okay offensively. I think they, Josh Jacobs is starting to look a little better. So I, I think they'll have enough um, offensively to win this game. So I'll say uh, Raiders 26, uh, Broncos 21. You always have to look at the weather whenever they play in Denver because uh, we know that's typically a factor, even though it's only October. And this is this is as Denver as it gets with the forecast. It's 51 degrees right now. It's going to be 32 degrees at night with some showers. By Sunday, it's Denver. It's going to be 72 and sunny. The good weather, that typically bodes well for, for Derek Carr when, when he plays in Denver, but I can't predict a win just after the turmoil this week. I'll go Broncos 20, Raiders 17. So, Vic, I'm giving you your cover, but uh, 20 to 17, Broncos. Yeah, I'm going to go Raiders are going to lose 
24 to 20. He's not taking the cover. 24 Ooh. to 20. See, that's, you talk, you got the line was. You know, you're cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think, you know, I think they're going to come to play. I don't think it'll be a matter of, you know, them, you know, not having to fire or, or wanting to win or wanting to perform. But I, I just don't see uh, this team being able to overcome this on such a, a short amount of time, especially on offense. That's, that's a lot of transition for them in particular. I think the defense will, will pretty much be fine. Um, because they're just doing what they they were already doing. But uh, I think the offense is going to take them a little bit at least to kind of figure that thing out uh, with, with, with changing your play card the same week and, and how you're approaching the game plan. And so uh, I don't think they're going to get washed or anything like that. You know, on, on a tough road game, turning around. But um, I, I just don't think they'll be able to put up enough points against a pretty good defense to, to come out with the, the win in this one. Yeah, I think um, I think the Raiders are going to lose this game twenty. 20- Seven to twenty-four. I, I just I think it's going to be a similar situation uh, with the Bears game where the Broncos are going to be able to run the ball and control the clock, and I, I think the Raiders' offense is going to struggle with uh, the transition. Uh, you know, as you guys mentioned, you know, without John Gruden and against a pretty tough Broncos defense with um, a, a really strong four-man pass rush. Yeah, so I, I just think. The Raiders lose this one, but you know if they come out and they look really focused, that'd be a good sign for the future. But I, I just don't know if they they could make that t- transition that quickly uh, with everything that's going on. Ted, you got to read Nick's story from the other day. The Broncos have a terrible four man pass rush. They have the league's worst pressure pressure rate when when sending four rushers. It could look better when you put Von Miller against Brandon Parker. You forgot to mention your boy Tim Patrick. I thought that would be a part of your pick. Like they can't stop Tim Patrick. He's going for hey, 250 in this one. Yeah, he's going to have a touchdown this game. <laughs> he's not giving me a score yet, but Brian, our producer, is picking the Raiders to win, so he's on board with you, Vic. Uh, he, he's got a Raiders win. Uh, not not giving me a score, but uh, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll count him down for uh, for a Raiders win. So Vic, Brian, have the Raiders winning, and uh, we've all got them losing. All right, seven. He's calling it a seven-point win. Still not giving me an actual score, but uh, he, he's got a got it's a so, big, it's so big victory. Yeah. We'll just pick one for him. We'll say he's he's predicting like a 42-35 win. Brian says 42-35. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really say that, but I'm just kidding. All right, guys. Well, uh, Sunday can't get here fast enough, I think, probably for the Raiders. They they want to just get out there on the field and, and turn their attention to football. And I think, you know, eventually we'll be ready to you know, we're I think we'll be excited to turn our attention to football. Um, it's it's been a it's been a long week for a lot of people in that organization, and um, we'll see what happens on Sunday when they take on the Denver Broncos. All right, guys. All right, talk to you later. Adios. The best case is they go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, and the worst case is they lose all the rest of the games. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.